whether, wonder whether you've ever felt like an outsider. wonder if you've ever stood outside the circle of those who are esteemed. Those who are the in crowd. And you know you're not part of that. Maybe it was at school or in education. <clears throat> Maybe you weren't cool. Maybe you were a nerd. Maybe you were the last picked in the sports teams. And you went in goal, didn't you? If you played football, you went in goal. Maybe you were in the bottom set for studies. Maybe you were in the top set. And actually, you were a brain box and a nerd, like I say. Maybe it's at work where you just feel you've hit a ceiling. And we know, don't we, issues around exclusion, lack of progress because of gender or ethnicity. I wonder if you've felt an outsider in a social group. Maybe it's your socioeconomic background. It might be you come from the rough estates. Or it might be you speak with a plum in your mouth. Sadly, you could feel an outsider at church sometimes. <clears throat> Let me just say, I know Beck has cliques. Do you know how I know that? Because Beck has people in it. I don't know whether we're worse than other churches or we're better. All I know is we default as people, don't we, to our securities, to the people we know. Can I ask, though, can I request as a church pastor, let's do something about that, though. Let's be outward looking. One way to tell, who do you go to to talk to at the end of the service? Who do we go to? Do we look around and go, I've, they might be new. Now, you may not know whether they are new. Okay, so the line probably isn't, have you been coming long? Don't necessarily use that line, because when they turn around to you go, three years, just say, oh, I haven't seen you before. Have we met? I often say this, but have we met? But let's be outward looking and de demolish some of those cliques. But anyway, we do know, don't we, in churches, for example, and maybe a church like this, great, isn't it? that we have an ethos, youth, children. But there are folks who feel on the outside of that then because they're single. Or maybe they haven't got children. And perhaps worst of all, have you felt like an outsider in your own family? Where you just think deep down and maybe... You've not admitted it to yourself, but as years have gone by, you've gone and reflected and you thought, ah, I'm, I think they were mum or dad's favourite. I mean, that's tough, isn't it? So that is a tough place. This is a joyful start to the Sunday morning. 
That's a tough place to be, isn't it? And it can be intimidating. I think I've said before, I've uh, been with Ali, so I'm not particularly posh, but as you all know, my wife is posh. Hi, Ali, by the way. She's watching in Northumberland with uh, my mother-in-law, Margaret. But Ali's, uh, we've gone places before, down in London particularly, and uh, I think Ali had friends from university who were kind of moneyed. And uh, I turned up at this evening meal, and everyone was in there post-workplace, post-city finance. They were all in their suits and what have you. <laughs> Me, the school... T I turned up in my fisherman's jumper, and I felt very foolish, intimidated. I felt like an outsider. It's a vulnerable place to be, isn't it? Really vulnerable. And it's a lonely place to be. Well, there's good news, because Psalm 68 says he puts the lonely in families. I think that's good news. That's good news for me. <clears throat> These are one or two quotes by people who maybe their outsider tendency meant they either tried to prove themselves or, or it just gave them something, a depth of character, perhaps. I'm not saying all of them, but Elton John said, I never thought of myself to be handsome or good-looking or whatever. I always felt like an outsider. Chris Pine, actor, it feels great not to be the acne-ridden outsider that I felt like when I was in high school. It's a lot more fun being alive now than it was that then, I'll say that much. And this is Leonardo DiCaprio. I can remember getting rejected systematically by casting directors as a young kid. I felt like the biggest outsider there ever was, that I'd never belong in the club. Does it feel like that to you? Just, oh, it just feels like I don't belong. Well, again, there's good news here. And let me say this. If that is you, and can I say, I would encourage you, if you are still living out of that place of being an outsider, as in perhaps there was stuff in your youth, your childhood, your upbringing, your school place, that meant you were an outsider, and it's as if you still live out of that place. Can I encourage you, talk to someone. Like at a deep level, talk to someone. Get prayed for, because that needs to be ministered to and healed. Because in the kingdom of God, no one should feel like an outsider. We've got a great pastoral team here. I just encourage you to talk about that, if this resonates. So we're in good company if we've ever felt like an outsider. Why? Because Jesus lived as an outsider. And he died as one, as we're going to see this morning. But even now, he calls us to be with him as outsiders. He calls us to that now. And that's what we're going to unpack this morning. So we're in Hebrews 13. So if you've got a Bible, why don't you turn... Uh, to that, open your app. So the writer to Hebrews has spent the book uh, kind of undermining the uh, Jewish ceremonial systems and sacrifices. And there's been some application in there about drawing near to God. And they just dealt with kind of the, the, the hall of fame, the, the faith walkers, and then uh, talked about you know, God as a father disciplining, and, uh, disciplining us. And then the writer gets practical and says this. Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. 
Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison, and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure. For God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. It is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace, not by eating ceremonial foods, which is of no benefit to those who do so. We have an altar from which those who minister at the tabernacle have no right to eat. And I'll unpack this a little in a minute. The high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering, but the bodies are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. For here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. May God bless his word to us this morning. So we have here then, this at the end of this letter, this is the last chapter, this kind of random sign-off. And I've not yet really found a, a commentator who either argues that there's a coherency to these points being raised. If we go back to verse 1, to these points being raised, these different subjects, or that there's some sort of uh, yeah, thread that links them. But what there is in this chapter is just a nugget that really, I think, unpacks the theme of the book of Hebrews. It talks about in verse 7, and we're just going to see the progression here. The writer talks about faithful past leaders. Remember your leaders, or at least most commentators say, he's got in mind here, leaders that used to lead. So remember these leaders. Imitate their way of life. And then this verse 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, forever. Probably one of the most famous verses in Hebrews, but it almost looks like it's just been dropped in there. But actually, the thought is that what the writer's doing here is saying, remember these leaders. They were good, they passed on. But Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus is always with you. There's then a warning in verse 9, not to get carried away by all kinds of strange teachers. And hey, there are plenty of those out there in the Christian world. And sadly, they proliferate because they're on YouTube and all the rest of it. So let's not live out of teaching. Perhaps we get elsewhere, YouTube and all, all of that, where we've got no reference point, really. So there's this warning about false teaching that appeals to Jewish Christians. Teaching about ceremonial foods, about the tabernacle. And what's happening here is this. The writer is warning these Jewish background Christians, look, don't get drawn back into all that religion and ritual. Tempting though it may be. 
Don't get drawn back in to the old wineskins. Because there'd have been pressure. The Jewish faith at the time in the Roman Empire was accepted by the authorities in a way the Christian faith wasn't. In fact, we know from this letter that these Christians faced persecution. In that situation, how tempting would it be to step back into old religion because it's what we know, it's secure, it's the people we used to be with, and it's accepted. It's accepted by society at large. I hope some of this is beginning to resonate. Because I think this is massively relevant to us today. So let me ask you the question. How would you like church to be? How would you like church to be? What would you like it to look like? How would you like it to be run? And maybe there's something to reflect on there. If your thoughts about how you'd like church to be look backwards you may need to challenge some of that thinking. When you're asked the question, how would you like church to be? If you're imagining something new in the future, a new wineskin, then you might be on the right track. I'm not saying there, by the way, that the new is always better. I'm just saying we cannot live individually and as churches in the past and hang on to that. And so the writer here to the Hebrews, tempted to get drawn back into their old religious ways, says this, Jesus is better. We just sung it, and we wasn't one of the lines in there about bigger, it might have been better, but anyway, even if it wasn't in one of the songs. Jesus is better, it says in Hebrews. In fact, the word better is used more times in the book of Hebrews, I think, than any other book in the New Testament. So this is a theme here. Listen, Jesus is better. Let me ask you a question. Do you know that? Would you call yourself a Christian? Maybe you're here and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian. And you don't know Jesus is better. The Christians here today want to say to you, Jesus is better. Jesus is better than however else you're living. Good though that may be, loving family though you may have, good job though you may have, you know, money in the bank though you may have, security though you may have, Jesus, we promise you, is better. In fact, some of us would go a long way to try and prove that to you. Jesus is better, better, better. You can trust him in that. You can follow him and you'll find that. The book of Hebrews tells us he offers a better covenant He offers a better resurrection. He offers better promises. He offers better possessions. He offers a better country. Jesus is better. (laughs) So Jesus offers more than this world or any other religious system or worldview. But the writer does warn them that Jesus, if we follow him, will take us away from our old securities. Verses 11 and 12. It talks about the high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering. And then he starts to say, but the bodies are burned outside the camp. It's talking about the day of atonement, the day when the sins of the people were laid upon um, a scapegoat taken out into the wilderness, but also blood was shed and offered in the most holy place, the inner sanctum of the ancient Hebrew temple. It says, but the bodies of the animals whose blood was shed were burned outside the camp. And so Jesus, verse 12, 
also suffered outside the city gate, outside of Jerusalem. Jesus was crucified outside of Jerusalem to make the people holy through his own blood. It's his blood we trust. His blood was given. The life is in the blood, it says. His life was given that our lives might be redeemed. His life for our life. That's a good deal. If you know who Jesus was, if you looked into that, you'd know that if Jesus gave his life for me, that's a good deal for me. If I can get life from him giving his life, that's a good deal. Let us then, the writer says, go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. So we're told this, that to live as a disciple involves living as an outsider. If you are following Jesus, you will live as an outsider of the systems and attitudes of this world. We're in the world. We're in the world. I don't think we're to become monastic necessarily. Some of us may be called to something like that. We're in the world. We're to be involved in jobs and families and communities and all of that. In fact, we're probably to be more involved than anyone because we're about trying to redeem those systems. But we're to live as outsiders. There's a call on us, verse 13, to go to him outside the camp where he is now. We'll try and understand what that means. George Guthrie, commentating on Hebrews, said this, Believers must reject the tempting security of Judaism and be resolute in their identification with Christ. Our primary identity, brothers and sisters, is in God In Christ, that's our primary identity. It's not our family. It's not where we came from. It's not our ethnicity. It's not our sexual orientation. It's in him. He challenges the hearers to go out. You see, following him, identifying him will take us outside the camp. Because we're of this world, but not, sorry, we're in this world, but not of this world. And we could insert, where it says Judaism there, you could insert any worldview, any system, any attitude that we might be tempted will give us security. Believers must reject the tempting security of dot, 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 materialism, living for the stuff, hedonism, living for pleasure, whatever it is. What is our security? Just ask yourself that now. What? gives you security. If you like, is there anything that makes you feel, actually, I am an insider. I've done all right for myself. I'm doing okay. I'm an insider. I am esteemed for these reasons. Well, if that security, if that thing is not Christ, we haven't gone to him outside the camp. It's in our own strength. So there's a few applications here that we are called to go outside the camp that want to give us, to encourage us this morning, a few applications of what this chapter teaches. Firstly, we see this. Jesus faced rejection. So will we. But that's okay. In fact, more than it's okay, 
I feel increasingly this way. I think this book is so relevant. I think increasingly we are going to have to live out of this place. That people will not get us. Now, I'm not primarily talking here about personal rejection. You know, some of us have been rejected by, might have been a spouse, might have been family, might have been a group of friends. I'm not so much talking about that unless that rejection was because of your faith. So I'm not so much talking about that. I'm talking about being rejected as a Christian. However, I'm not talking about being rejected as a Christian because we're weird. Okay? This is a word from God for us this morning. Don't be weird. All right? Just don't be weird. Okay? I understand you might be misunderstood. I'm not saying that because of your faith. But don't be weird because of your faith. I could ask for a show of hands. Does anyone know any weird Christians? Does anyone think they might be a weird Christian? (laughs) Or they're sat next to one? So let's not be weird. Let's not turn the world off because we're super spiritual. People can't understand what we're talking about, what planet we're living on. Okay, let's be really, really earthed, but wise and godly and loving. Rather, I'm talking about being rejected for our faith by a world that doesn't understand us. F.F. Bruce says this. It's a bit difficult to read, actually. Jesus was led outside Jerusalem to be crucified. And this is regarded as a token... So I'm going to have to stand here. This is regarded as a token of his rejection by all that Jerusalem represented. To have his messianic claims rejected was in itself a stigma. To be cast out and crucified added to that stigma. So Jesus was rejected by the whole religious paraphernalia and system of the time. The Pharisees, the law keepers, the temple and all its officials. He was rejected by that whole worldview and system. They just couldn't accept him. And if you like, his crucifixion outside of Jerusalem, the base of power, is symbolic of how he was rejected. It's a bit like Moses, who gave up you know, the the treasures of Egypt for the reproach, the disgrace, the stigma of following God. And of course, in that place of rejection, there's a massive temptation to compromise, isn't there? Massive temptation. And isn't this what we see? Some of the pressures of the worldviews out there in society, some of the social attitudes, pressuring upon the church and church streams to compromise. And these streams, I think, we need to ask, you know, are we being biblical? Are we holding to biblical teaching? Because that's our foundation. If you're, if you're not aware of this, we're, we're called built an evangelical church. That word evangelical and using a small e there, we're not part of a denomination, but using a small e, one of the things it means is this. We take scripture, and I've tried to do this hard though it is. I mean, scripture's hard enough to wrestle and understand in itself, let alone when you've got pressure from society to compromise on certain attitudes and what we think it says. So there's a massive temptation to compromise. After all, who wants to be an outsider? Put your hand up if you'd like to be an outsider. Because you might be a weird Christian if you actually want to be. If you want to be an outsider. Understand that you think you might have to be, but don't want to be. 
That means you don't like people or something, or you want to take yourself apart from people. And of course, in that place of compromise, we can lose our very self when we're just trying to please other people. So firstly, Jesus was rejected, and so will we be, but that's okay. Secondly, cracking on, God is often at work outside the camp, at the margins. We see this throughout history. We're talking here about going really outside of your comfort zone. This is my favourite, I think this is my favourite PowerPoint ever. Okay? I don't think the good stuff, the magic, happens in God until we step out of our comfort zone. Because it's there we find him. Because he is so different, so other outside of this world, outside of the way this world thinks, that until we step out of our comfort zone where we're accepted by the world, the world gets us, we're not misunderstood, until we step outside of our comfort zone into that place where God is, the magic won't happen. The good stuff won't happen. People won't get saved. We won't see the world transformed. If we stay as the world is in our comfort zone, well, how can we expect to change the world and see transformation if we are like the world? In fact, if the world is in us. So we have to shake that off, break off that shackle and step into the places where God is. Whatever that is, they they might be geographical places, they're places of attitude. So God is often at work outside the camp. F.B. Meyer says this, All those who have left a mark in the elevation of their times have been compelled to join the pilgrim host which is constantly passing through the city gates and taking up its stand by the cross on which Jesus died outside the camp. Let me ask you, is God asking you at this time to go through city gates? Do you know what the city gates are for you? Is there something in your life? God is asking you, look, he's out there. You've got to go and meet him. That's where the magic's going to happen. You know that. You know you can't stay where you are. Because magic ain't happening here. The good stuff is not happening here. And you know, I've got to do this. I've got to go through these city gates. I know I've got to do it. Scary. Scary. Don't know what it's going to look like. Don't know if he's going to look after me in that place. But I'm going to do it. Because I want to see the magic happen. I want to see God do stuff. Anyone else in their life, want to see God do some stuff out here. You've lived here. You've lived here. You know what it's like. This is, I think this is good stuff, this. It's speaking to me if no one else. (laughs) There's good stuff out here where God is, people. We've just got to find him. But we've got to be brave enough to go outside the city gates to find him. Just to say, we find him on a cross we find him on a cross. And he tells us to take up our cross. Chances are we're going to have to, the way outside the, the, way outside the city gates isn't going to be la, 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 la. Okay. Don't know what that was. We're going to have to carry our cross. I think you're going to have to carry your cross, friend. Chances are, the more magic that's going to happen, I hadn't planned to say any of this, I don't know whether it's any good, but anyway. The more magic that's going to happen, chances are, the bigger the cross. The more difficult the cross, 
Looking back on that memorable spot, we see it thronged with the apostles, martyrs, reformers, and prophets of every age who invite us to join them. Can anyone think, you don't have to answer now, can anyone think of anyone from the history of the Christian church who has seen the world transformed, who did not have to go outside their comfort zone? I haven't thought about it, but I reckon we'd struggle to find anyone. Saw a video with Jackie Pullinger on the other day. Jackie Pullinger, we all go, great. Jackie Pullinger goes to Hong Kong, sees drug addicts healed, prays them off, heroin, praying in tongues. Rejected, rejected, rejected when she felt a call to be a missionary. Had to go outside the camp, carried the cross. And her story is the story of time immemorial, prophets, reformers, martyrs, who saw the world changed. So we'll be misunderstood in that place. We'll, people will call us mavericks. But we may just be a prophetic voice of what God wants to do. And F.B. Meyer says, we've got no choice but to obey. Ah, young hearts, secret disciples, halters between two opinions, waverers between two opinions. The issue, issue of such a choice cannot be doubtful. With the cry, God wills, I know this is what he's calling me to, you will join this new crusade and take your stand with Jesus at the meeting place of his cross. If we're serious about following Christ, people, that's the journey we've got to take. To say what no one else is say, saying, to do what is different, and to step out on unforged paths. There probably won't be a path clear, nicely trimmed with flowers along the side for you to walk along. You may have to forge your own path. I was reminded of um, R.T. Kendall, who taught on Hebrews 11 and said, basically, these guys all had to go outside the camp. You read the chapter, Hebrews 11, this list of folks who by faith, by faith, by faith, all of them had to do something different. Noah built an ark. Moses left Egypt to lead the people out. David, shepherd boy, kills a giant. Abel gives an offering. Sarah says, yes, okay. I'll give my womb over. None of them had the same thing asked of them. That's a tough call. But RT himself had to go on that journey. He led a church in London, Westminster Chapel. And uh, he pursued the Holy Spirit. He pursued revival. Are you, are you pursuing revival? Is that on your heart? So RT felt led at different times. There were all sorts of ways that he had to go outside the camp. But one of the ways was he had to invite people. He felt the Lord. He took, God just brought him across people who came and ministered in his church, who upset people. He met a guy called Arthur Blessett. Anyone remember yeah. Arthur Blessett? Carried a, however, huge cross around the world. Just told, was in a coffee shop, ran a coffee shop, kind of outreach, and there was a big cross on the wall, and he felt God say, take it off the wall and walk around the world. And he literally went around the world. I don't know how many years for, I think. He comes to Westminster Chapel. They're all a bit prim and proper there. And uh, there's this weird American that carries a cross. 
Not that all Americans are weird, but, you know, he looked weird, okay? And he basically got the church out on the streets witnessing this Calvinist church with a theology, God's going to bring them in. And Arthur Blessed says, you've got to go out. Are we going out? Folks, we can't stay in here. I'm not, I'm not talking about physically, literally. In our hearts, we can't stay here. God is not just going to bring people in. We are going to have to go out and speak up for him. Arthur Blessed, he brings a, a guy called Paul Kane, a prophetic voice, sadly, um, yeah, came a cropper, but amazing prophetic gift. Again, Westminster Chapel wasn't used to that. Rodney Howard Brown, some of these names you'll know, who ministered and just praised for people, and laughter breaks out, joy breaks out. Sometimes when the spirit moves, it's a bit different. It's a bit weird. Now, that's okay if it's the Holy Spirit. I remember one time there was a guy, Charles Carring came. I used to work at Westminster Chapel, and we had this meeting. It's, it probably is the weightiest presence of God I've ever experienced in a meeting. This Charles Carring just comes and speaks, and I just felt the spirit on me, and I, oh, my hands are burning. <sighs> just sweat. And I felt I needed to pray for RT, who's quite, who, any of us that have seen RT, is quite a dignified kind of man. And I go to pray for I said, RT, can I pray for you? And I go to pray for him. And this is purely coincidental. Well, I'm gonna, I pray for him. I just, I just pray, Lord, I pray for RT. And I, oh, I just couldn't get words out. And I'm praying for him. And I know this is in the spirit. As far as I'm able, as far as I'm confident in anything, confident this is in the spirit. And I, my hand just started to go. And I'm messing up RT's hair like nobody's business. Now, in a sense, silly example. But it was just a bit strange that I couldn't speak and, I, you know, and all the rest of it. But I, I just knew it was the Spirit. It won't look like, if the Spirit comes, it won't necessarily look like we think it should. Such that RT introduced what's called a prayer covenant at the chapel. There were five or six prayer requests. Help us to speak only blessings into one another's lives, that sort of thing. One of them was this. We're going to pray this at the end. So I want you to just think about, do you, are you open to praying this? So one of the prayer covenants was this, that he had the church pray. We pray for the manifestation of the glory of God in our midst. Amen. Who wouldn't pray that? Along with an ever-increasing openness in us, to the manner in which he chooses to manifest that glory. It's not for us to choose. We have to let God be God. Cracking on. Finally, though, we will find a home outside the camp. You see, we'll find Jesus there. Because he says, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. I'm here. If you come outside the camp, you'll find me. It may be remote. It may be a remote home, but we'll find him. We're also assured of an eternal home that's worth investing in because Hebrews 12 has just told us that the secure places of this world are being shaken so that what cannot remain won't remain. 
And only what is eternal, the ways we invest in God, will be that which endures. So what will this countercultural living look like? This going outside the camp. How do we do it? Is it about placarding and demonstrations where Christians get on the street and make statements? Well, it, it could look like that. Is it about cancelling our opposition and people that don't hold our views, standing on truth in, you know, just holding on to this and again declaring? Is it about bold statements to signal our virtue, that we're on the right side, we're, we, we're, you know, we're part of the in crowd, we've got it right? No, no, no. Hebrews 13 tells us this living outside the camp will be very, very ordinary. I mean, how radical is some of this? Love each other. That's how you live outside the camp. In a world that's polarized, fragmenting, love each other. Be hospitable to strangers and foreigners. I'm not sure I see that in the news, being hospitable, and in our political parties, being hospitable to strangers and foreigners. Remember prisoners. Now, it's probably talking here about prisoners of faith, but hey, remember prisoners. Be faithful in and to marriage. Our sexual ethic is important. I like this one. Honour your leaders. So that it's easy for them. I really like that one. Because anyone who's been in leadership knows it's not easy. It's not easy anyway. Let alone when people don't want you to lead. Just a minute, Lee. And then keep yourselves free from the love of money. So simple to live outside the camp. So costly. So brothers and sisters, Hebrews is coming to an end. Let's draw near to God, we're told. Let's walk by faith. Let's know we're seeking a better country. And let's join Jesus outside the camp. I think there are moments in society as a whole, but also for churches, when it just feels there's a call on them. It's a particular Kairos moment. F.F. Bruce, should have put this on a slide. F.F. Bruce says this about these Hebrews. He says, There without the camp stood Jesus calling them to follow him. Inside, they felt secure. They knew where they were amid its familiar installations. They were psychologically insulated from the world outside. Hey, guys, we cannot psychologically insulate ourselves from the world. But Jesus claimed the world outside for himself. Time and again in the history of the people of God, a similar call has come when a new advance must be made into the unknown and unfamiliar, to occupy fresh territory under the leadership of Jesus. 
There is nothing static about him or his cause. To stand still is to fall behind. To stand still, to stay as we are, to not be malleable and open to what he's saying to us individually, as this church and as the church. To stay as we are is to fall behind. 